0: Friday, we bring you an ode to the odd. That's Meg, and that's Cal. This is take two of episode seventeen. And, yeah, the
1: hence the really long pause because I was turning my head to look at the screen to make sure it was recording this time. Because
0: Meg fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I did. It's fine. <laughs> so this is episode seventeen, our first book club. Yeah, book loop. I'm looking episode. forward to
1: this since last year. Mm-hmm. It's a short book. Um, we're gonna do a little bit of a summary. We're gonna do a little bit of feedback. Um, that way, if you read the book or not, you'll know what's going. Get a, on. A, yeah, you'll yeah. get a little bit of, little bit of input, a little bit of history, and then we're going to each take a leg of the episode to explore some different topics. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, we're going to talk about Nellie Bly.
0: Yes. So Nellie Bly was born Elizabeth Cochran in May of 1864. She
1: was one of thirteen. I'm sorry, f- she had 13 brothers and sisters. Oh so she was one gosh. of 14 children. I don't know how people do that. Ugh. I, I don't... I, it's, but that's actually really impressive to have a family
0: that large. Like, to have all those surviving children. Yeah, that's true. Very true. But anyways, in 1885, at age 21, she penned an anonymous response to a misogynistic newspaper article in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which led to her writing for them because... They wanted to know who it was that wrote to them. They were intrigued. She used a pen name, Nellie Bly, a character in a popular song by composer Stephen Foster. And he said there was an Easter egg.
1: Yeah, just that um, the nickname was given to her by a prior supervisor or something um, to use as a pen name so she wouldn't be recognized. And he mm. misspelled it.
0: Oh, gotcha. So it
1: was inspired by it. But yeah, there's um, mm. it should have been, I believe, with a
0: Y. Oh, okay. She then worked as an investigative reporter, focusing primarily on women's issues, and she even spent six months in Mexico exposing life under dictator Porfirio Diaz, which is just crazy.
1: Before the age of, like, 20.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Amazing. In 1887, she moved to New York and worked for the New York World. She specialized in sensationalistic and lurid stories as well as hard-hitting investigative pieces, which is really cool. And at the age of only 23, she took an assignment on Blackwell Island, which is now known as Roosevelt Island. It was home to a penitentiary, a poorhouse, hospitals for infectious diseases like smallpox, and then the asylum. Her editor wanted her committed for 10 days to expose all of the conditions at the asylum. And so she did. She claimed to be a Cuban immigrant suffering from amnesia and was sent to Bellevue Hospital. She was, quote unquote, diagnosed with dementia and then sent to Blackwall Island. The asylum was built to hold a thousand patients, but it held over 1,600 when she arrived in 1887.
1: Yeah. So she's arriving after the situation is already dire. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the only way they actually remark that in the book. It's the only way that they can learn about things like this is for people to essentially experience it and somehow make it out alive because they didn't have sources to tell them what was going on. Yeah.
0: Extensive budget cuts had led to a sharp decline in patient care with just 16 doctors on staff for over 1,600 patients. And
1: the really sad thing is is that the doctors are mostly the ones that are rejected by other places. The pay there isn't very great, so the initiative mm-hmm. to do your best work really isn't there. It had a very high turnover rate. Basically, as, as soon as a physician had enough experience to transfer to another hospital, they would. Yeah. So the care was inconsistent and
0: shoddy at best. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there was a lot of psychological and physical abuse. Some of it included ice-cold baths and then being forced to remain in the wet clothes for hours at a time. Yeah,
1: she referred to it as feeling like she was going to be waterboarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the water treatment. like it Water treatment does not sound like a scary thing. Like, you think, like showers, baths, and kind right. of things. But really, like, it, mm-hmm. um, they talked about how they would um, wrap a patient up in a sheet that was wet and then lay them on a bed for three hours, and they would put an ice pack on their forehead oh. or behind their neck and a, you know, those, like, squishy rubber, like, mm. hot pad things yes. at their feet, and they would, they would lay there for three hours, and they would undergo that procedure
0: day after day for weeks. I would cry. Oh, my god. It just sounds, that that sounds so awful. They would be forced to sit still on benches for 12 plus hours at a time. Yeah, they wouldn't even be able to lay or yeah, move no.
1: position, and they weren't allowed to do anything. You know,
0: some patients were tethered together with ropes and forced to pull around carts like mules. Um, other conditions, the food, there was rotten meat. Oh, she found a spider in her yeah. dinner that first night when she was there. Uh, moldy stale bread and frequently contaminated water was dished out and anyone who resisted or complained about the conditions were beaten
1: yeah they were threatened they essentially said don't expect anything you're poor we don't the world doesn't owe you anything and if you expect better than this
0: you're gonna get a whooping she also wrote about how there was frequently threats of sexual violence by the vicious staffers as well yeah Many inmates were innocent, healthy people <clears throat> who had such grave psychological damage inflicted on them that they became sick. And when I say innocent, I mean that they were there when they didn't have any mental illness. It's some of them were just immigrants.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Some yeah. of them had
0: just disabilities, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy how, how many people found their way into an asylum. Mm-hmm for so many different reasons that today we look back and think at it. They were committed to an asylum because they spoke only French that's it that's all Uh, or um she just had a baby and she's not the same we're gonna commit her you know anything i mean there's a picture that went viral for a while that showed different reasons to be committed and like reading a book was one of them oh my gosh um i mean and if you look at the history of it it's believed that like spiritual supernatural they believe that being sorry all right i could i could go (laughs) on a tangent for hours we'll uh, get back to the timeline
0: also, Bly successfully lasted 10 days, and she published articles within days of getting out. And then it was because of her that a bill was pushed through that increased funding for mental institutions, adding a million dollars, which is $24 million in today's it money. It was a lot. For the time, that's just crazy. Yeah. She did such an amazing thing. The abusive staff members were fired Translators were brought in for immigrants and changes were made to prevent innocent people from being committed again. Mm-hmm. And then she <clears throat> quickly became one of the most famous journalists in the world. Yeah. And it was only after she married a wealthy what was he? He was a wealthy something. Probably industrialist.
1: I'm not sure. I don't I remember. really remember reading. After about that her. she retired from oh. writing. Yeah, the the um the papers that she published after she got out. Now part of the book explains about how um the her employer, the newspaper, pulled her out because otherwise she would not have been able to get out on her own. Yeah. She faked being insane to be committed and then once she was there dropped the act completely and mm-hmm. didn't do anything and was on more than one occasion quote-unquote diagnosed as being somehow mentally ill right I, it makes zero sense now you have you re- mm-hmm. we really have to kind of keep it in retrospect of the time frame that we're looking at yeah uh, the tea really bothered me too like how um they were served tea with like the moldy bread oh, and everything yeah. and the tea had a, like a pink tinge and mm. it tasted like rust I think they said I ah
0: man
1: and that um they they found it um bath day was once a week so she actually had to endure stripping down naked in front of everyone and then receiving a bath after a bunch of other patients some of who are actually sick Mm -hmm. and might be carrying
0: an ice cold of course and ice cold and dirty oh man i couldn't do it there's no way
1: if i mean when you read the book it kind of seems I said this earlier and it's going to come out wrong. It kind of seems timid in comparison to what you would expect if something were to be published. I think now the expectations, right. we know more about the horror. So mm-hmm. reading this, I I was kind of taken aback by... Um, I guess the length, I expected there to be a lot more writing for her after being there for 10 days. But then I kind of realized that, um, I mean, what she wrote was just the tip of the iceberg. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. I mean, we know that other stuff happened while she was there. We know that she quotes um, at the end about how difficult it was for her to leave everybody behind. She quoted, I think, saying that she was leaving them in a living grave. Oh. Because she couldn't help them. And mm-hmm. that's just so sad to me that she made friends with multiple people who were obviously either not sick in the first place or just had something totally natural, like postpartum depression or right. anxiety or, God forbid, epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... Um, it, and it's I find her a very intriguing person, too. And... I enjoyed her writing, and at some point we'll go on to read more about her. There's a book that's on Goodreads about her traveling the world. Oh yes, and yeah. so I just find it so intriguing that she she's just a powerhouse. She, she went from like being di- undercover Mexico and then yeah. into the asylum, and then also in here she went undercover to find out about the um. It says the active industry in New York City that sought to find women husbands. She went undercover for that. That's awesome. And then another occasion, she took on baby buying. Oh my gosh! And this is all at a very young age. Like yeah. I, I'm just astounded that some of the people that we talk about are so young and they know what they want to do and they're mm-hmm. doing these amazing things at right, an age I where know. most
0: of us are still figuring out, you know, what we want to do. Yeah, I think I read that she traveled the world she was the pers- first person to do it by herself and she beat the record at the time by 10 days i, th- I want to say she did it in 80. In,
1: oh in 80 days yeah, yeah she wanted to she wanted to be um she wanted to do it faster than jules verne's character mm. um yeah and that was in 1888 at the age of 24 she flew
0: around the world by that's my herself. age that's just oh man Damn, Nellie.
1: Yeah, and she would send back, if I remember correctly, because I read enough to. I want to say that she sent back messenger birds, like throughout her trip to. People that she was associated with at work, so they could write about it in the newspaper, and it became a huge betting Mm -hmm. pool of if she was going to do it because she was actually competing with somebody. Mm. So maybe it'll be a topic that we pick up at another time. There's, she seems like a very interesting woman. Definitely. So, and when it comes to Blackwell, aka Roosevelt Island itself, there's a really long history. Um, And I find the history of asylums and institutions really, really interesting. So I could go on about it forever. But I'm going to cap it to make this, (laughs) you know, just a shorter episode. But if this is an interesting topic, I highly recommend that after you read 10 Days in a Madhouse by Nellie Bly that you read Damnation Island by Stacey Horn, And it really goes into good but not overdoing it detail about the history and about these institutions, because it wasn't just... Um, an asylum on blackwell it was actually a two mile strip of island that had a lunatic asylum an almshouse which is for the poor two penal institutions and then there was over half a dozen hospitals for inmates so oh. it's like a whole like little mm. hospital village kind of thing going on and they talk about how at the time you could actually see new york city from blackwell's island and Blackwell's Island was very, um, dank Mm -hmm. and smelly and it didn't have the updated electric and electricity that New York City had so you could be on Blackwell's Island. Theoretically as a patient if you behaved yourself and were let out you could see from Blackwell's Island into the city. That's crazy. And they just talked about how that juxtaposition of being so close there were actually people who um, when they patients who were when they were let out ran for the river Mm -hmm. and they became known as river runners because they would Hmm. dive into the water and risk you know drowning because they were trying to be you know escape to the other side some people had people that were going to rescue them right so i thought that was pretty Mm. intriguing too but um so from the book there are some pretty interesting things that i thought will go along well with the 10 days in a madhouse what are we that's such a long name i know i'll just start calling it 10 days i guess that
0: works so
1: the city, the history of the island from our point, from, like, the white settler's perspective, starts in 1828 when the city bought the island for $32,500. Um, there is a history before it. It is significant. It's only not being talked about because we're looking at a micro history. Mm. We're really just looking at, like, a couple of eras of this island. Right. So that's... Like, not a lot of money at all. $32,000 for that whole island. And then yeah. that's where they had all of those buildings. And it was a great source of income. And, I mean, it became a bragging point um, for the people who ran the asylum. How inexpensive it was for them to house these people and feed them and everything. It's It was like a bragging right. It's really... Huh. gross and yeah. then I can't find another word that like it just makes me feel scummy when right. I was reading about it so it it was originally purchased to accommodate the lunatic poor it was built to be a, a solution to overcrowding mm. so the buildings filled up the hospitals filled up with these patients who were poor they didn't speak English they you know were of the wrong class and the hospitals got full and they were on a pain scale for the most part and they wanted to limit how many people that they came in that they treated that weren't paying customers, because that's essentially what they were. Mm-hmm. So they built the buildings on Blackwells to accommodate it. The only problem is, is that they were like 10 steps behind because they'd build to combat the overcrowding, only to fill beyond capacity to build again. And it happens over and over again, and Nellie Bly's experience is just one of those. Right. Um, they eventually allocated money to build a men's asylum, so the Blackwell asylum where Nellie Bly was was just for women and it was still overcrowded which is terrifying to me because that's so we would be there I mean you're outspoken you have really bad PMS like
0: Mm -hmm. you're
1: there um there were multiple instances in Damnation Island where there were husbands who came back from trips i'm assuming probably more well to do because they could afford a lawyer they came back only to find their wives locked up in the asylum beaten starved and were able to fight to get them out but they had left on a work trip Mm -hmm. you know and were sailing to europe or something say and somebody uh -uh. at their estate at their home got rid of the missus while he was gone and in a, in a lot of instances they didn't save them soon enough because they were so malnourished
0: right um
1: that there was really nothing that they could do oh. so the there's i think there's kind of like two histories that go along with when you look at the history of asylums there's the intentions and what we wanted and where we wanted it to go and then there's what actually happened Mm -hmm. and I think it's really important that it doesn't undermine it but we have had really good ideas we have had really good meaning behind our efforts that just shit the bed
0: right you know we
1: really did want to provide for people we really did want to care for them there was this whole movement of asylums in this time period that um these grand beautiful institutions were meant to be therapy um open light you know, very comfortable places for people to recover and um then we just had too many and the care just went down the shitter and so we get into that cycle that i talked about where we build to accommodate and you can't combat the problem when you can't even provide for everyone that's there the best laid
0: plans of mice and men often go awry
1: yeah i haven't read that book in forever this is it's so not really uplifting kind of information, but so up until this point, going to prison was where you would go if you were considered insane. Now mm-hmm. again, insane really only meant that you could have bipolar disorder, you could have depression, you could like to read. Yep. You could want to have a job. Um. You would, and you would go to prison. Um. There was also. One point in time where they believed that lunatics didn't, were not affected by temperature. So a lot of these institutions were not properly set up to warm them in the winter and cool them in the summer, especially in places like New York City. I mean, anything that's, you know, northern America, Mm -hmm. for anybody who's not, especially, we get lots of fucking snow and it's really fucking cold. We can't have. You know, you can't have houses that are insulated up here. You can't, you know, we have attics and basements to help add to it. You can't get through a winter without. Mm -hmm. But they did, and that's what they had a lot of times. They talked about it in the book. They would get a really thin shawl and, like, a really worn-down dress, and that was all they would have except for maybe a wool blanket and a straw mattress, which, straw mattress, so gross. Uh, 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 (laughs) All I can think is just plague. Plague like plague so Nellie Bly wasn't the only one that actually visited the asylum um three years after all this went down Charles Dickens visited and he wrote about it and it was it was the your worst nightmare and more if you're familiar with history of mental institutions um and there's two reasons why I think it's important and I'll stop after this, that it failed. And I think this is important because if we don't study history, we're doomed to repeat it. Right. So right off the bat, there's two fatal flaws that Stacey Horton points out. And one is that the commissioners appointed to manage the institutions um Underestimated the need. I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked about this. I mean, but it cannot be said enough. It's a miscalculation they would make repeatedly as the Ireland grew to accommodate an average of seven thousand people. Wow. When you combined the the there was a building called the Lodge. You had the asylum. You had the workhouse. It's it's right. crazy. So they just constantly tried to keep up. That's all they could do. It was just maintenance. They were treading water. And then the second is the fact that. The people that they put in charge of the asylum were the same people that ran the penitentiary, uh, which is should be setting off like all sorts of warning bells, signals yeah. in your head because yes, um, they actually, even though the laws stated that you were not to put a mentally ill person with a criminal, Uh, It still happened all the time. I mean, um, when the asylum overflowed, they would bring the people over to the prison. At one point, they had prisoners from the penitentiary over at the asylum acting as nurses and doctors. Oh, my gosh. Um, And it went as well as you imagine it would. I don't even need to explain it because it was just really bad. Um, And so, again, that's where you see we have the same issue right now. There's that corporate greed because it's a money-making institution instead of a service to people. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. I mean, here's where we talk about how um, they were bragging. They were down to 18 cents a day. And they were proud of it. Like it was some first place trophy or something. And so messed up. And it's that greed. And, mm, Yeah not saying much but there's a whole lot of swearing going on in my brain right yeah it's just it's it's a very depressing but um i think in order to really appreciate something you have to kind of understand the history and i've gotten to a point in my mental health where i'm very thankful for where we are today and i know we still Mm. have a really long way to go but being so involved in mental health now i like researching it i like i don't know there's something comforting to me about seeing how everything that's happened up until this point got us to where we were and maybe it's me just kind of making myself feel better but i feel like we've made advancements and people there's people sacrificed for it and i want to appreciate it like it deserves agreed there we go absolutely yeah well said So there's a lot of references to Blackwell's Island throughout history throughout. I mean, I'm sure if there's anybody around New York City, they know more than Mm -hmm. we do. Um, I highly recommend the book. There's other accounts of Nellie Bly in pop culture. And um, one of the biggest ones is the season of American
0: Horror Story. Yes. So I'm going to touch base on that a little. It's the second season, which is Asylum. And for anybody who doesn't know what American Horror Story is, it's an anthology series on FX that centers on different characters and locations each season. So the second season came out in October of 2012, and it takes place at Briarcliff, which in the show is a former tuberculosis hospital, and it becomes an insane asylum run by the Catholic Church, which is exactly what you want. And in it, Lana Winters, who is played by the amazing Sarah Paulson, is a reporter that's ahead of her time who gets committed to expose the horrors there. mm mm-hmm. This takes place in 1964, which is significantly... Mm-hmm. later than Nellie's.
1: so for a reference um nelly bly like a lot of the types of things that didn't get talked about in her expose i think is the correct term is that um there's like all the restraints that they were legally told they weren't supposed to use like straight jackets and cuffs mm-hmm. and stuff um they still use them on a portion of the population but what wasn't recorded was like chemical restraints like oh. um uh, uh, Gosh, at the time, I mean, I think I have it written down, but I could just guess off the top of my head. Morphine, opium, laudanum, mm. chloroform, maybe, depending on the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, so they never wrote down when they, like, would oh, give not. these yeah, drugs yeah. to people. So um, that's that's the Nellie Bly timeline. The timeline for Sarah Paulson's character is more of, like, the electroshock therapy, yeah. um, lobotomy is mm-hmm. that that time frame so that's where you get that that modern fear of yeah. they and it's fucking creepy like
0: hey kids it just gets worse <laughs> um so at this at briarcliff manor the day-to-day administrator is sister jude martin played by jessica lang who is a queen and at briarcliff some of the things that lana exposes that are similar to Nellie. um There are medical experiments done by the in-house medical officer, Dr. Arthur Arden, who was played by James Cromwell. Mm -hmm. Had that, like, round office, right? Yeah. Oh, he's a fantastic actor. It was very creepy. Mm -hmm. There's abuse and cover-ups, like, in it. Oh, man, I can't think of her name right now. Chloe Sevigny, however you say it. She plays a character named Shelley, who is admitted for essentially being a quote unquote whore. Shows mm. words, not mine, because yeah. she's sexual. She yeah. enjoys sex. They commit her because of that. And like you said, electroshock therapy was used um, for homosexuality. Mm-hmm. That was one thing that was big in the show because Lana was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. They used exorcisms because it's the Catholic Church. Yeah, and shock therapy. And at the end of it, Loner survives and becomes very famous. Yeah. She writes a book and the show ends with her all doing interviews and, you know, everything like that. So a lot of similarities. Isn't
1: that the same character that comes back at the end of, was that Roanoke?
0: No. No, it, it was. Is the psychic that she plays. I think that's what you're thinking about. I kind of wish I hadn't
1: asked when we were recording, because I'm thinking of something <laughs> specific, but I feel like it's escaping me. I don't know. I've, I've, mm, I because j- I haven't watched any of the seasons past Roanoke, and I want to say that Lana Winters was in another season besides Asylum. Hmm.
0: I don't, not that I can remember, I know she plays the psychic in more than one season.
1: Might be wrong, but I have a feeling Uh I'm going to be
0: looking on IMDb tonight. uh, um, Yeah, so, Asylum. It's cool to see characters like that represented in pop culture. Yeah. I love the season, but it does have weird-ass shit in it. It's, um... I think I need to rewatch it at some
1: point, because I... It's one of my favorite topics, obviously, but it's very overwhelming. There are a lot of storylines that overlap, and there are a lot of triggers, which... Yes. fucking surprise it's american horror story but right, like if yeah. you have triggers about anything that could happen in the mm-hmm. in the season i think just recognize them ahead of time because i don't Definitely. think i was prepared it was yeah. they do they their episodes pack a lot of punches with hitting you know mm-hmm. taboo topics and yeah. concepts Definitely. now who from who from asylum was also in season one of american horror story was it everybody
0: a lot of them i mean most of them jessica lang sarah paulson evan peters lily rabe uh or wait was that lily rabe's first season
1: I think it's, but um, I don't think it really matters, but I think no, that's, but
0: that's the good, like, the good
1: chunk of, like, uh, yeah, the seasons yeah. where you get, like, the original cast mm-hmm. that really pulls off what it is. Because it's not just, like, a show that focuses on different people at different points in time. It takes the same cast and spins a completely different season,
0: and everybody gets a new role. And... Yeah. Oh, no, she was in Murder House. Sorry. Sorry. No, it's okay. She was Mrs. Montgomery, the original owner's wife. The... the thing in the basement oh yep, yeah 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 okay sorry that was really bothering no no me. <laughs>
1: you're fine yeah the first season was uh, was murder, murder house, house so it's haunted house yep. it's a good first season to get into Two still lots of triggers oh though. yeah absolutely lots of triggers i think that's just like a yeah if it were the like 90s or the early 2000s and it,
0: you bought it it would have that like parental advisory sticker yeah. that all the music used to have on it which like people are like, but it's on FX. And I'm like, yeah, but it has fucking horror in the title. Like yeah. you have to expect, yeah, you know, don't tread lightly. Stuff. Yeah. it's
1: it's meant to be this way. They they push buttons on purpose. They mm-hmm. test the limits, and uh, they've pushed me too far a couple of times. There were a couple of times that I've given up because they oh. they pushed buttons and yeah, you haven't even watched Cult. Oh man, is that the political one?
0: Yeah, that's c- the one I- with the shooting scene in it it
1: started it started playing automatically after roanoke finished and i didn't really realize it um and then when i realized i was like nope fucking nope not nope, not fucking dealing with this again nope 2020 i really want to focus on the glitz and glam instead of the politics which i know is an ignorant statement but guys it's only an hour a week just give it to us
0: (laughs) there's enough politics yeah there
1: really is well and you look at, like, right now, we've got the political situation. We have the outbreak of coronavirus, mm-hmm. and it was the 99th anniversary. No. Yes, 99th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz and the concentration mm. camps. So this has just been a very um, dark
0: week. And the koalas. And the platy- pie. What's happening to the platypuses? That doesn't sound right.
1: I know it doesn't. That's why I said pie. Is it just
0: platypus? It probably is, but I feel like
1: platypie is fun. Like, it's (laughs) moose and moose, but don't you wish it were like moose and like meese or mooses? Gooses. Gooses. Geese actually are disgusting and they are, they can carry the flu. I like geese. Gross. But yeah, (laughs) no, the platypie. Platypus. Platypus are they're just suffering too because of the whole area of um it's not just like the habitations that are being burned, it's the whole area is so ecosystem. hot. Yeah, yeah and mm. a lot of them are breathing in like the second hand. I never thought about where
0: platypus live.
1: I hadn't either, but I also have to admit that I didn't know they were real until last year. Like oh. the narwhal. I thought they were fake. Listen, they lay eggs, <laughs> They're duck build. They're warm-blooded, right? And they're poisonous. Yes. they. That doesn't sound oh, cool. real. Like, if I were to say it's to Australian. you, I have this creature, <laughs> if I had described a unicorn, it would sound more realistic than a platypus. Because we have narwhals. Okay, yeah, I'll give it I'll give yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think it was real. I mean, hey... There's like those giant face sized spiders in Australia that jump. There's sometimes ignorance is bliss. That's
0: for sure. Oh my God. So. Well, Nellie Bly, Elizabeth Cochran, thank you. Yeah. For your work and badassery yeah i like recognizing the people behind the
1: movements i mean progress was still slow and her expose didn't fix things i mean it was a lot of money mm. but it needed a lot more money not just crediting her work at all but the reality is is that um that was the extent of what i feel anybody was capable of doing at that point in time like she did oh, it definitely there, yeah. there's nothing Especially else that i can think of I mean, yeah yeah and, and how, how young she young, was yeah, I know I can't get over how young she is I feel like I'm not that much older than her but it just it feels astonishing to me because yeah. the thought of following up being locked up in an asylum for 10 days and the same year going undercover again mm-hmm. and then flying around the world alone that that's terrifying I watched that Aeronauts movie with Eddie Redmayne and f- nope f- nope um. Yeah, they were. In the f- nope. <laughs> Why do I keep wanting to say Felicia? It's not Felicia. We're watching Eureka and Felicia days in it, so I keep saying Uh-oh. that. But um. Yeah, not I Felicia. Her. I don't know. I Haven't seen um. That. It's on Amazon. I thought it was like a movie, like a movie theater movie. But it came out on. I think it was when they came out on my birthday, and yeah. I love Eddie Redmayne. He's so great, and him and He's the adorable. actress are in The Theory of Everything together. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. They're in this together, and it's based on a true story, so it's, like, historical fiction. They break the record for going the highest that someone has ever gone in a hot air balloon. Oh, wow. It was, like... It was really well done. It was... I was thinking it was, like, you know, two hours in the movie. I'm like, oh, my God, they've been gone for, like, three weeks. They're going to starve. It, they were gone for, like, three hours. <laughs> but they went, like, higher, and, like, mm-hmm. they are they almost die multiple times. And the fact that they survived it all, and then, like, what they were able to do with the information that they gleaned yeah. from their the discoveries terrifying. and everything. Oh it's, gosh. oh, my gosh, it was crazy good. He, I mean, Eddie Redmayne could play anybody, and it would be worth watching. <laughs>
0: trying to end it on a light note but that's yeah we got sidetracked mostly yeah well next week we'll be talking about (gasps) it's nope that's still january we're into february oh
1: snap snap i don't say that crap Gold pop (laughs) yeah, <laughs> crackle pop, crackle pop, crackle pop. So let's see. So we have some really good episodes in store. We try Set to up a list. Se- we, that's Valentine's Day. <laughs> Keep it under wraps. Next week we're talking about vampires, tuberculosis, and being buried alive. Yeah, which I am super excited about. That'll be a good one. I lived in a former TB quarantine building
0: huh your first apartment
1: yeah dang yeah interesting and the mother and my neighbor totoro Mm -hmm. who's at the hospital that's what she's receiving treatment for she's at a Mm. tb hospital happened there was an outbreak of tuberculosis in japan in 1988 89 um, and the family actually moved closer to the hospital because they were using, like, the open-air therapy treatment. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you've if you watched it enough or watch it with the intent to pay attention, you can actually s- kind mm. of follow along with what's happening to her, which I thought was really neat. You don't really get yeah a lot of pop culture references about tuberculosis. Yeah, no. It kind of stops <laughs> with, like, the Victorian era a little bit. So that'll be a really fun episode. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: oh, we want people to give us suggestions for questions. Yeah. For little clips, like random things to ask each other that every, we can post. Every
1: time we go to record, we stall. Like, our the only time our mind's blank is when we try to come up with an mm-hmm. icebreaker question. Like, the one at the beginning about the book was, like, the sixth question that we came up with, and it was mm-hmm. the only one that we could come up with an answer for in less than, like, five minutes. Mm-hmm. We've had some really good ones, like if you could own any mythological creature. Mm-hmm. But then I have to think about it, because this is what anxiety does, is it overthinks
0: Is right. if I own it, do I have to pick up its poop? I know, like I went hippogriff, but I'm like, do I want to feed weasels? Sho- yeah,
1: I don't want to have to shovel. Yeah, no. No, I don't change diapers anymore for a reason, <laughs> so... I'm in my mind. I'm thinking of one like rational one, mm. like if you had to really take care of it, and then one that's like fuck it all. Like I'm gonna own. I don't know
0: because, like I said, where does a pet become right? Like a like. Do we have a haggard? Do we have a caretaker? For Maybe it? you are the hagrid. Maybe, but then I have to pick up the poop. Litter train them. Litter train <laughs> Buckbee. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's some fan fiction. Somebody make that happen. All right. All right. Well, this
1: is episode 17, and we will be back next week. Bye. Bye.